Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. In light of COVID-19, our regularly scheduled 9 and 11 a.m. Sunday services are currently suspended. During this time, we will live stream our 11 a.m. Sunday morning service and plan to offer other online connection points throughout the week. You can find us on Facebook or visit www.rockpoint.org for more information, including important schedule updates. Good morning and welcome to Rock Point Livestream. Uh, my name is Randy Tomko. I'm lead pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. We are located in Sterling Heights uh, in the metro Detroit area. And before we begin today, just what we had as part of our weekend update, uh, clue you in on a few things. One is that this morning we are going to partake of communion together as a congregation scattered across uh, not just the metro area, but around the entire United States at this point in time. Uh, there's really no one on location here. And so we want to let you know ahead of time if you didn't get some of our communications. Um, if you don't happen to have uh, grape juice or wine uh, and bread available, then maybe you can use a substitute of some type and you can join us on that later as the service progresses. Uh, communications, same thing. Um, we have sent out five or six or seven different communications by email at this point in time. If you are a regular attender here at Rock Point and have not received those communications, if you'd like to receive those, then send an email to offices at rockpoint.org, just offices at rockpoint.org, and ask to be placed on that email uh, list. Otherwise, you can check the website for most of those things too. Quick reminder, a lot of scams going on right now, uh, whether it's uh, Social Security or banking issues or the stimulus package, please be watchful of this. Don't give your information out to people. Uh, the IRS or the Social Security or the stimulus people are not going to call and ask you for private information. So there's a lot of people trying to take advantage of this time. So just be watchful of those scams as they've kicked a little bit higher. We have been uh, very busy. There's been a lot of different things that we as a church have continued to be on uh, and involved with. We'll let you know more of those as it goes along. One of those this past week was distributing food, partnering with another organization, um, both down in the Osborne community in Detroit that we've had partnership with, as well as in our local community out of our own kitchen. And here's a few just snapshots of what took place uh, on this past week of time. We were all watching the social distancing guidelines, uh, but we had people come to us with tears in their eyes, both in Osborne as well as in our local community, just over um, their need being met by some of this food delivery. That and so much more is taking place still, uh, and we'll keep you informed of that as it goes along, our engagement with some of the hospitals and other ministry. Again, if you're part of our community and you find that you are coming down with the COVID uh, virus or sick, please let us know that. We want to know so we can pray for you and support you and your family in any way during this time. Finally, before we continue on and get into worship, a couple of thoughts that are positives right now. One, if you are late today to service, no one even noticed. Uh, second of all, for the first time, if the music's too loud, turn it down. You got the option, all right? Other than that, let's join together. Father, we come before you as a community of believers spread around not just this uh, metro area, not even just the country, but Lord, we join believers around the world in worship today on this, your day. Um, meet with us here, wherever we are, Lord, and encourage and lift your name high in the midst of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I want to mention before we begin today on this message, do not forget, um, just an appreciation for so many of you who have not just been continuing to fellowship in this fashion, but many of you have made a point of sharing this with other people so they can also uh, be a part of this. And there's been so many comments and statements coming in. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, I, I will take a look always at the end to see what comments were made. Um, and so we appreciate what fellowship is taking place. Today's Palm Sunday, and um, as we're looking at Palm Sunday, I actually want to take this a little bit different here today. And uh, uh, John chapter 12 tells us that there was this great crowd that had come for the festival and heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And so they took palm branches and went out to meet him, and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And so uh, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead just prior to this. And uh, now he's entering Jerusalem for a final time. And it's the Passover time. That's what this festival is that's being referred to. It was one of the major events of the Jewish worship and calendar time. And Jesus at this point in time was a superstar. And so people are just caught up with the uh, excitement of stardom and celebrityism, and, and this is how he enters Jerusalem, um, but he enters with just this, this small colt or, or, or donkey rather than a, a, a prancing stallion of any kind. But it's talking about him as the king of Israel, and we'll discuss that a little bit more next week. But this whole idea of palm branches in this festival, I kind of want to, to delve into a little more deeply and, and take this apart for you today. In this message, do not forget. Um, there's a story I've said before to some of you about these 30-year-old, uh, group of 30-year-olds or so, and they had a, a reunion, and they were discussing where they should go for dinner. And somebody suggested that they meet at the Glowing Embers restaurant because the waiters and waitresses there were all young and beautiful. And they all agreed. 15 years later, at 45 years of age, they met and discussed again where they should have dinner. And someone suggested the glowing embers because the food and wine selection there were very good as their tastes had become more sophisticated, and they all agreed. Another 15 years later, at 60 years of age, this group once again discussed where they were going to meet. Someone suggested the glowing embers because you can eat there in peace and quiet, and the restaurant is smoke-free, and they all agreed. Another 15 years pass, and at the age of 75, this group discussed again where they should meet, and somebody suggested that they should meet at the Glowing Embers, because the restaurant is physically accessible, and they even have an elevator. They all agreed. Finally, 15 more years pass, and at the age of 90, this same exact group of friends discussed one more time where they should meet for dinner, and somebody suggested that maybe they should go to the glowing embers because they'd never been there before, and they all agreed. The point of the story is not only how people change over time, but also how sometimes our memories fade and get lost in the distance of time, and we forget things. There is a certain device used called mnemonics, and it's a way to engage your memory. 
And in a way, this is what Palm Sunday and certain other things around this are about. When we use the term Palm Sunday, it's a way to remember what took place, that people took palm branches and placed those down in front of Jesus. And it was on that Sunday that the palms were there. And so the palms were a type of mnemonic device. We use those uh, in differing ways. Um, you can use them to remember names, to remember other items. Sometimes it's symbolism, sometimes it's acronyms. Uh, sometimes they can be something simple, a, a piece of, of uh, string tied around a finger. For, for me, I used to, for years, turn around my watch. And when I turned around my watch, then as I'd go through my day, I'd look at my watch and wait a minute, it's around the other way, why is that? And then I would remember what it is. Nowadays, though, I turn around my watch, I look at it and realize it's not there, and I still don't remember why I turned it around exactly, to be honest. Um, there are different devices that we can use for memory. Palm Sunday was one of those, but one of the really important ones was what was happening in the same time period. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for the festival. It was specifically for the Passover festival. And this was a very, very important time for the Jewish people. They'd been practicing it for well over 1,300 years. And it was to remind them, and it had a variety of little things that we won't go into, but there was a variety of little items that were part of the meal that was designed to remind them of um, a certain time period when God had interacted and interceded on their behalf. History to me is important because it not only gives us context, but it also gives us understanding and also can change even how we value something once we have that understanding. I, years ago, I, I heard of somebody who had an old Navajo blanket that they used for a throw rug and, and it had around for years and years until somebody saw it one day who was schooled in the ways of the Navajo and looked at it and realized that this was an extremely expensive, thousands of dollars, maybe even tens of thousands of dollars worth in value as they knew the history, the background, and, and was able to put that blanket into context. And this individual who had owned it for so long had actually minimized it. It had become just something common for them that they walked on. And in the same way, uh, perhaps communion that we're going to experience today has become a formality for many. Or for those of you who are not followers of Jesus Christ, maybe just a strange thing that you don't understand. So today, I want to put context in this for you. This Passover was interesting in several respects. Most of the festivals or events that would take place that were ritualistic took place either at the temple or in the synagogue, which would be closest to uh, what would be a church. But the Passover meal was practiced within homes. It was one of the few festivals or celebrations that was done inside of a home. And it was something you would also invite sometimes friends to, particularly those who were uh, less fortunate than you were. And in this meal, there would be a variety of different items that would be part of this. And Jesus is gathered after this triumphal entry, after Palm Sunday, later in the week, um, he's gathering with his disciples, with those close to him in this upper room area, and they're having the Passover meal. This meal they'd celebrated for 1,300 years. This meal that to them would have been a, a thing of extreme familiarity, maybe even casualness, but it was always celebrated to remind them of something that they did not want to forget, a time when God interceded for them. Some of you may remember that 
that um, before they became a nation, they were tribes of people that were in Egypt. They'd originally come as equals, but over time had become slaves to the Egyptians. Egypt was the greatest empire, one of the greatest achievements of men up to that time. In fact, the largest statue ever carved from a single piece of stone weighed more than two million pounds. And it was a figure of Ramses I, the Egyptian pharaoh who died in 1317 and very probably was the uh, pharaoh that would have overseen the departure of the Jews or, or the one after that possibly. But either way, this statue would have been existence in the time of their slavery. So Egypt was this, was this fantastic empire with all the power and abundance of wealth for everyone except for the Jewish people. They would have been slaves there. Moses, you would have heard, was a prince of Egypt, and then he goes off into the desert, and he encounters God after murdering somebody. Burning bush experience, God speaks to him and sends him back to Egypt to be his mouthpiece, to, to speak to Pharaoh, to liberate his people. Pharaoh refuses to listen. And so God, through Moses, establishes a series of plagues. And this is one thing for you to remember, that the communion we practice is rooted in the Passover, which itself was rooted in a time of plague. There had been nine different plagues that had impacted the Egyptian people. Plagues of frogs and flies and boils and, and all sorts of, of, of harm and difficulty that they'd endured. And yet still... Pharaoh would not release the children of Israel. Finally, there's a final plague, a final moment that comes upon them, and Moses warns Pharaoh about this, and Pharaoh ignores it. This final plague is going to be that the firstborn male child of every household in the country will die including the firstborn male of the herds and of the cattle. Uh, it would have been a tremendous economic loss, something we can understand today, that would have impacted the entire nation. It also would have devastated the family structure and the people, of course. In this time, though, God not only does not forget the children of Israel, he provides for them. And so Moses instructs them at God's direction that they're to take a lamb, a male lamb without blemish, a male lamb without blemish. They're to take this lamb, slaughter it, and then they're to take the blood of this lamb and mark the doorposts and the top of their doorways. And if they do this in faith, if they, if they take this male lamb without blemish and take the blood of this lamb and put it over their doorposts, that the death angel, the angel of death, when it comes to take someone from that household, will see this blood and will pass over that house. Death will not come to that house. So the children of Israel gather and they, they do this. And I'm sure there had to have been some questions at times from various friends that they had looking at, what are you doing, Reuben? What's, what's with the bloody doorposts and all? But as night fell, there began to be the loss that people began to incur. And as people discovered that in the middle of the night, as death walked the streets and passed over these households, but didn't pass over others. I don't know what it would have been like to have been a Jewish person in Egypt 
hearing in the middle of the night the cries of those who had lost somebody, those who would have been worried and stressed, maybe in the same way that, that some of us are today by the events that we are dealing with, as it seems like death seems to march our streets as well right now. And we worry about this. The word worry is got an old English root word, worgen, which means to strangle or to choke. Worry tends to squeeze the life out of this. But Jesus makes a statement that says, which you by anxious can add a single hour to a span of life. Therefore, don't be anxious or worrying about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be worry enough of itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Corey Ten Boom was someone who um, was known for, for her actions in World War II during the Holocaust in, in helping Jewish people uh, at that time, and she paid a tremendous price for that. And it was a life of constant stress. But she put it this way, worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Our anxiety, our worry, and our fear is currently outpacing the problem of the plague of the virus that we currently face. Worry and fear have a way of transferring very quickly uh, to other people. In fact, panic or, or fear um, in a military endeavor is one of the most contagious and disturbing things. One person starts to run, and before long, the entire army is running away. And it can be a very contagious device. And this is what's happening with this virus today, this thing that's, that's pushing in on us. And yet Jesus says several times in Matthew chapter 6 to not worry. Over and over again, he says, don't worry. Now, we have a legitimate right for concern. And I was talking to a friend just the other day who was saying that he was concerned but not fearful. Concern is right. Concern about what's going on around us and being watchful and wise is, is appropriate. But worry is, is kind of concern gone crazy. We need to deal with reality. And the reality is that if we gather as we usually would gather, there's a risk to us. And so we don't do that. Um, we sanitize. We're going to do the other things that are proper in this process. If you're not concerned about this, then you're being foolish. But concern, someone one time said, you own. Worry owns you. Concern you own, but worry owns you. So in this season of time, we need to, as the same way of the children of Israel and the Egypt, we need to be concerned about what's going on. We need to take proper steps in regards to that, but not worry, not fear, not, not the anxiety that would overwhelm us and, and it could take us down. The children of Israel, as the stress of that night goes on and um, death passes over them, they wake up in the morning and, and realize how God has provided for them. In the same way that God has provided for them, Pharaoh is really conscious of, how, of what he's dealing with now. Someone has the power of life and death. And so finally, in that broken moment, he releases the children of Israel. And so they now have their freedom to depart. And so for the Jewish people who later then would celebrate this Passover meal, it to them was like 4th of July times 10. It was, it was an awareness of their transfer from slavery to freedom, from being a collection of tribes to being a nation, from being people who were constantly fearful to having a, an increased faith in the things of God. 
Currently, right now, I've been told two things that have gone on the extreme uptick because of this environment. One is that there's been a surge in the writing of wills. We are more conscious of our mortality right now than we have ever been. We're aware of the fact that, that we um, are not going to get out of this life alive. And so we're trying to provide materially, but there's another thing that's on the uptick, and that is prayer. Prayer has, has gone off the charts. The searches on Google have gone huge as, in, as the virus and the concerns about it increase. So does the issue for prayer and the seeking of some of these solutions. For those who are followers of Christ, we are concerned about what's going on around us. We're watchful. But we also know that the same God who led, Egypt, or led, led Israel out of Egypt and into freedom is the same God who ministers his grace to us. That that same Passover meal that, that reminds them of that, that mnemonic device, can remind us today as we take of communion, as Jesus infuses that Passover with the full and complete meaning of it. We can have peace even in the midst of difficulty. Oswald Sanders said, said, peace is not the absence of trouble, but rather the presence of God. Not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. In fact, Jesus says in the book of John that in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. If you've been following Christianity at all, true biblical Christianity and if you followed within this fellowship at all, then you know that trouble and trial is part of what we deal with. God doesn't say that that's evaporated or, or that you'll never get sick or that you'll never lose a job. But he does say that he'll provide in the midst of that, that he'll be present in the midst of that. That whatever circumstances um, hit us, that we are never alone, first with God, but also with the fellowship of believers and the encouragement that comes from being part of a family. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. I'm told there once was a king who announced a paint, painting contest. He was building a new palace, and he wanted the main entrance to the hall to be decorated with a large work of art, and so he envisioned his kingdom as a peaceful land. So whoever's painting best symbolized peace, he said, would, would win this great prize. The first painting was of a majestic lake, so tranquil uh, and still, that the lush hills behind it were perfectly mirrored in its reflection, you know, those mirror reflection of the water. Skies as brilliant blue, puffy white clouds, wildflowers bursting with color outlined the lake, a family of deer uh, calmly graze uh, over in a far meadow, and everyone who saw this picture felt peaceful and happy. The second painting, this one portrayed a tall, mountain cliff, rugged and strong. A few small trees grew out of the cracks in the face of this cliff with gnarled roots clinging for life. A foamy waterfall angrily crashed down the cliff and into the rocky land below. And above, dark, ominous clouds loomed. And in the distance, lightning flashed. And halfway up this cliff, this rugged, craggy cliff, grew a small bush. And in its branches, a bird sat in a nest, apparently warming her eggs in the midst of all that was surrounding. 
After several weeks, the king declared that the second painting, the one with all the violence and crashing and, and all, and this little bird in its nest, was the winner. People were kind of confused and upset about that. It didn't make sense that, that this would be an illustration of peace. And then he explained this. He said, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a state of mind. Those who experience peace have love in their hearts, even when turmoil surrounds them. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the presence of God. The Jewish people, even in the midst of all they were dealing with and all the troubles they had, there was a peace in knowing God and in the slaughtering of this male lamb without blemish and its blood spread over the doorposts, death passed them over and they left the land of slavery to enter into a journey that led them through a lot of twists and turns but eventually out of being a collection of tribes into being a nation of God. They would have passed that two million pound statue on their way out. This enormous statue, the largest ever carved out of a, a block of, of stone, one that symbolized all the power and grandeur and strength of Egypt that God had now leveled. Who would have dreamed that these former slaves trudging out in, into the desert and into the unknown would ever amount to anything. But in following God, in pursuing Him, in trusting Him, today, Ramsey's statue lies broken in the sands of Egypt, mostly forgotten. Meanwhile, the movement that God began with these men and women and children of Israel willing to live according to God's will and for His glory, began to do things that by His hand would change the world forever. When Jesus sits with the disciples at the Last Supper, this Passover meal that had been celebrated for 1,300 years that was done as a mnemonic device so the children of Israel would never forget God's actions, would never forget their liberation and their freedom. In fact, one of the fourth, there's four different names for Passover. One of them is Passover, otherwise Festival of Unleavened Breads, Festival of Spring, but another one is entitled the Time of Liberation. And so to remember that time of liberation that for centuries they've been doing, and then Jesus comes and he finally changes the mnemonic device. It still means freedom, but not just politically anymore. Not just national pride. He now makes clear to them in this Passover meal that, that he is in fact, as John referred to him in, in the first chapter of John, verse 29, as he sees Jesus coming towards him and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in this communion, in this Passover meal, this mnemonic device that meant freedom nationally, now Jesus says it wasn't just for that purpose. If you really want to understand Passover, if you really want to understand what's going on here, then you need to realize I am the Lamb of God. I am that male lamb without sin, without blemish, that is about to be crucified whose blood is about to be poured out and spread over the doorposts of your heart so that death may pass over you, not just for national identity, but for a sense of spiritual renewal and true and deep liberation and freedom. 
James chapter 4, verse 8. I came upon this passage because I think it's so appropriate for the time, but it has a deeper meaning. It says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Okay, all you guys that aren't washing properly, read the scripture, all right? Wash your hands. But the connection is with, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Those of us that are still stuck with the things of this world, that still think that our own power and our own ability is going to hold us and keep us. He's saying, no, cleanse yourself of those things. Follow me. In a little bit of time, we're going to take of communion today. This communion is a mnemonic device to remind us so that we don't forget how we have this spiritual freedom today. For the Jews, it was nationalistic, but Jesus made it clear that it really had a deeper meaning, and in this moment, he brings that meaning into place. And what it means is this, that if you are enslaved, God will buy you back. If you are lost, God will find you. If you are ashamed, God will cover you. If you wander off, God will bring you home. And if you give up on him, God will not, cannot give up on you. No matter where you are, even now, God sees who you are and he loves you. If you are in a room surrounded with family and friends and maybe some of your wealth, or if you're alone in a shabby apartment, completely isolated, you need to know that God sees you, knows you, and loves you, and has made provision for you by his own son. John chapter 16 uh, uh, that talks about um, in this world you're going to have trouble. The passage just before that verse says this, a time is coming and in fact has come when you'll be scattered each to your own home. Very appropriate, isn't it? A time is coming and in fact has come when you'll be scattered each to your own home. But it makes clear that, that God is in the midst of this. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. The storm isn't eliminated, but in the midst of the crashing thunder and the roaring of the waves and all the rockiness of your surroundings and all the things that can attack you in that, he says, in me, you may have peace even in the midst of that. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As worship was going on, and as Jake was singing, I was walking the sanctuary, a sanctuary that is empty with the exception of one or two or three people that are involved in helping us to do this today. And as I was walking in the midst of worship, I was remembering the names and I see the faces of all of you who filled these seats and will, with God's grace, fill them again. And I see your faces and I see those who would have sat over there and, 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 and that whole grouping of families that would sit in this front row and, 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 a, and a, a single mom and, and her father who would sit over here. A doctor and her husband who would sit over there. And it was striking me that, that if I can remember you and if I can have this sense of compassion for you now in your circumstances as we all walk this together. How much more so does God see you now where you're at? If you're not a follower of God, then you need to know that he has made provision for you. That by um, his very own son's sacrifice, that crucifixion, that by his own blood and his own body, 
He has won your life, your freedom, not politically, not physically, but spiritually, that in any situation you can have peace. One of my, my favorite symbols that I've seen over the years is this lone cypress tree that's on the coast of Monterey in California. And it just hangs there and it's been there forever against all the storms and wind and everything crashing it. It just continues to stand in the midst of that and still has life and still grows. This is Christ's promise to us. That in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, that he will be there with us and will not forget us. And that there can be a peace in the midst of that. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is saying that a bruised reed he'll not break. A smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. Today, if, if you feel like you've been bruised and, and fearful over this virus, if you feel like you've just been finding the flame of hope guttering out inside of you, you need to realize that he says that he will not come to you and break that. He will not come and blow that out. But instead, he comes to sustain by his Holy Spirit to encourage you. Do not forget the God who rescued you is what the Jews were told. And so for 1,300 years, they celebrated Passover meal to remember how God provided that for them. Christians now, for 2,000 years, have taken that meaning that for, for its true meaning and depth of the sacrifice of Christ as that Lamb of God that frees us from our spiritual sin and also from fear and, and all the things that can enslave and, and capture us in these things. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, said this. He says, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. If you're not a follower of Christ, then I want to welcome you before we take of communion that you repent of your sin, acknowledge it before God wherever you're at, embrace God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, come as a sacrifice for you and I so that we would have life, that he died and be able to join us together in this. For those of you who have been followers of Christ for a long time, don't forget. Do not forget the God you serve and who remembers you and knows where you're at even at this moment and cares for you. He's the same God who parted the sea. He's the one who provided manna in the desert, fire from heaven. He is the God who knows the very hairs on your head not even a sparrow falls without his notice. And he sees you now in the midst of your circumstance. And he wants to bring you peace in the midst of the storm of this time. The 103rd Psalm reads like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all my diseases, who redeems my life from the pit, who crowns you and I with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you and me with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. If you're being oppressed and pushed down during this time, for all our care workers, we're, we're, we're wanting to look after you in this next week and we want to pursue you. 
We know that you're on the front lines. We know that you're dealing with death on a daily basis. We know how difficult and and horrific those circumstances are. Many of you have communicated that to us. But the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He's made his way known to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. And this is the Lord that you serve. He is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. As for a man, his days are like grass and he flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone and his place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Well, one of the things about doing our gathering this way is I don't see anybody who's nodding off or who's not engaged or who's slipping quietly out. But all joking aside for the moment, my prayer for this time is that you would not forget the God who has never forgotten you. This morning, If you're a follower of Christ, we welcome you to join us in this communion. If you don't have bread and wine or or juice available, then use whatever substitutes you have. Our communion's always been open. You don't have to be a member of this church. You do have to be a follower of Christ, though. That's an important item. If you're not that follower of Christ, but today you come to understand what great lengths God has gone to bring salvation to your household, so that death would pass over you, so that you could have communion and relationship with God. If you recognize that this morning, you want to repent of your sin and accept God's grace through His Son Christ, then you can also join us today. We'll take of this together in just a few moments' time. We're going to give a moment of reflection. And so, Father, this morning, as we prepare our hearts to receive of this communion, this time of thanksgiving, this full awareness of the Passover, God. I ask, Lord, for those of us who don't know you, that, that during this time there would be something would stir within our own hearts that would be your Holy Spirit drawing us to yourself. And that there'd be those today that would not just be caught up with making out a will or caught up with random prayer, but they would know today their creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the one who sent his own son in the person of Jesus Christ to save them from their sin and they'd repent and come to you. And Lord, for those of us who already know that, for those of us who this is our our 500th communion time, Lord, I pray that you'd shake us out of any degree of apathy that as we fully come to understand what holding these two symbols, these two mnemonic devices, these two... Um, elements mean truly the history, the depth that goes back over 3,000 years of time. 
that we would approach this with a seriousness and a thoughtfulness. I pray your Holy Spirit would walk through every household listening to this now. We wait upon you in this moment of time and reflect in Jesus' name. This morning, even though um, this place is dark and empty, I see Davin and Daryl and Cheryl and Twain and Brooke and all the Perlackeys and Newtons and Maria and Vince and the Georges and Lankos and so many other faces here. I see all of you. Wherever you are, I see you today. But much, much more importantly than that is that your Heavenly Father sees you where you're at. He knows you and He will never forget. Do not forget Him in this series of time. And know that you can have peace even in the midst of the storm. This concludes our live stream. We'll continue to be here for you. And you can still reach us on the phones by the emergency number or even in the offices, 9 through 3 o'clock, Monday through Thursday. Offices at rockpoint.org. Um, we continue to minister. And we continue to pray for you. And now before we go, Father, I pray particularly right now for our caregivers. Lord, for those who are on the front lines, from our police officers and firemen to our nurses and doctors and technicians and EMTs and all those, Lord God, who are ministering on our behalf in the midst of this time, God, sustain them, encourage them. Let them have a sense of peace even in the midst of what swirls around them. And Lord, to everyone now who is isolated in their home, God, let your presence fill that place right now. And Father, for those who've been with their family for way too long, with too many people in the home, I pray, Lord, that you'd have peace as there as well, please. Guide us in these things and restore us as your people, we pray. We commit all these things into your hands in Jesus' name. In trust believing, amen. Thank you for joining us. I look forward to being with you next week again, same time, same place, guys. God bless you.